0: One of the best supports for the truthfulness of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account of our Lord's ministry, passion, death, and resurrection, one of the best supports for them is that they include all of the warts. They include all of the negative details about the Lord's ministry, about his followers in particular, and about the whole story, and that helps support the claim, the belief that they are, in fact, true accounts. Think about it. Those of you who are parents or teachers, or even if you ever taught a Sunday school class and you had a conflict with two of the students who were outside of your sight and you had them giving an account of what went on and one's giving the account. If that little boy is giving an account of the disagreement that makes him look like an absolute angel who never thought anything bad about anybody in his life, never said anything bad and certainly, certainly would never do anything bad you are certainly going to be skeptical, aren't you? Skeptical that his side of the story is not the whole story. But Now, if you have a similar situation, that the person who gives you the account includes the things that they said and the things that they did that contributed to the problem or even caused the problem, well, you know that there's a pretty good chance that they are telling you the truth. Because they are not painting a rosy picture of themselves and their role to play in it. If they tell you about the egg on their own face, you can probably believe it. It lends credulity, credibility to them and their story. And so it is with the Holy Bible, particularly the Gospels. In the Lord's ministry, he was rejected by the Jews. The Jewish leadership in particular, the very people who had the promise, who he came to save, he was rejected. And they include that. They don't water it down and say, well, it was just a few people. They tell the whole story. It was the entire leadership and many of the people with them. The Gospels also talk about the disciples and how silly that they were with their fickleness. Loyal to Jesus at one point, understanding him at one point, but... Not loyal and not understanding at another. You have Peter in the garden denying the Lord, the leader of the church. If you're going to tell the story about how he cut and run at the first opportunity at the question of a young servant girl, well, there's a chance that they're probably telling the truth, isn't there? When the rest of the disciples scatter like rabbits in the garden, and they include that when they're telling the story of our God and King Jesus, well, maybe there's something to these accounts after all. And finally, as far as words go, we have what we're considering tonight, the story of Doubting Thomas, Saint Thomas. His feast day is on December 21st, but we had to have something for a second midweek in Advent, so we, we moved it up a little bit. Like Andrew, last week, Thomas is one of the 12 disciples, the 12 followers of our Lord, And Thomas has the unique position in the Bible of being the guy that asked the question of Jesus in John's gospel, the 14th chapter, that led to Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, he had possibly good nickname that's also given in John's gospel, Didymus or the twin. You probably recall him being called Thomas the twin, and if only that nickname had been the one that stuck, right? If you're going to be known for something, hey, call me a twin, say, he looks like so-and-so. That's a nickname I'm okay with when I know some of the nicknames that exist out there even in this room that people have. You're starting to wonder, who's he talking about? Well, we can go over that later. Yeah, you wish it stuck, but rather than getting the twin as a nickname, we know Thomas's story. For whatever reason, he missed church on the first Easter ever. The evening of our Lord's resurrection when the rest of the remaining disciples were there in the upper room, Thomas, for whatever reason, had better things to do. Or maybe himself was scared. Don't know. But he wasn't there when the disciples saw the risen Lord Jesus right in front of them. And then his response to the report from the disciples, we have seen the Lord, earned him the nickname that actually stuck, Doubting Thomas. Unless, (laughs) For seven, yeah, the nickname is stuck, right? So, so for seven days, Thomas was not just a doubter. By his own admission, he was what? An unbeliever. I will not believe, he said. I won't believe the angels that said he's not here, he's risen. I won't believe the women who were there who said he's not here, he's risen. I won't believe my dis- the disciples and my friends who say he's not here, he's risen. We have seen him. And he wouldn't even himself believe our Lord, who made the prediction so very clear. I will go to Jerusalem, die, and three days later be raised. Thomas believed none of them. Unless I see, unless I touch the wounds with my own hand, see with my own eyes, I will never believe. Well, thankfully, all's well that ends well, right? Right? That's the case for Thomas, St. Thomas. The Lord, Jesus, gave him his wish, and he appeared about a week later, and he offered his hands and his sides. He said, Peace be with you. Oh, hey, Thomas, by the way, here's my hands if you'd like to touch them. Here's my side where the spear went in. I'm right here for your own proof, for your own verification. It doesn't even tell us that he touched him. If you read it closely, sometimes the picture has him sticking his fingers in there looking. That's fine. But it seems to be Thomas saw him and that was enough. And he said, a very good confession, my Lord and my God. After that, it's not in the Bible, but the tradition says that Thomas went off with the rest of the disciples, now apostles, and became a missionary. First to Persia, modern-day Iran, and later on to India, where he spread the gospel, Martyred himself there in India, at the hands of a mob of Hindu priests, supposedly, with spears. Martyred for the faith that he was once so hesitant to confess, so hesitant to embrace. And he is rightly honored in the church. Rightly remembered on St. Thomas Day, or whatever service we choose to commemorate him in. But there is a benefit to Thomas. Thomas the twin. Thomas... The doubter, Thomas, the confessor, we should not overlook. And that is the Lord's pardon and mercy in the face of his unbelief, after his unbelief. Now, I think we can all agree it's not a good way to go through life to be overly credulous, right? Believing everything and everyone that comes along. If that were the case, then you'd answer every phone call and you would have probably bought 27 car warranties for a vehicle you don't even need a warranty on, and things like that. But it's not good to be overly credulous. On the other side, it's not good to be overly skeptical, overly critical. Thomas should have believed the reports that he heard about Jesus. In spite of what he convinced himself, there was no good reason for him not to believe what he had been told after Easter Sunday. The Lord himself, who said he would do it, had Jesus not proven himself true up until that very point and trustworthy with what he said and what he did? The disciples, the other disciples who told him, we've seen the Lord, and the women, right? Were they liars? Had they shown themselves to be untrustworthy in how they lived their lives? So why set this tall bar I'm not gonna believe what you say. I must have my own criteria met. He shouldn't have said what he did, but the fact is that he did. And in that, I think we can relate. Who of us here could ever, with confidence, say that we haven't had a Thomas moment in our faith life, in our spiritual life? Maybe not with doubting, the resurrection itself, but what about trust in the Lord's word and his particular promises to care and love us and provide for us? What about our faith that our God hears our prayers and answers them and even in spite of what we see and experience, it's even for our good? Do we have a trust that God will work out all things for the good? of them that love him? Have we always unwaveringly had this faith, had this trust? I think if we're honest, we would say indeed there have been times that we have fallen short in this regard. We found ourselves to be unbelievers, at least with a small you, unbeliever. But God be praised. Here we are tonight in church, in our congregation, in the body of Christ, To whatever degree we have fallen, we have repented, we've believed, and we've returned to the Lord and the faith and the trust that should have been there strong all along. And for that reason, I think we ought to be grateful for Thomas and what happened that first night and week after our Lord rose. The good that came out of his own personal doubting, I think, is so very obvious we can see how the Lord deals with, let's call them, returners. People that were there and then left and then came back. Like the prodigal son parable, like Peter himself, in a similar timeline, we see from Thomas's own Easter encounter how truly gracious and merciful our Lord Jesus Christ really is. And Thomas is there a week later. He doesn't castigate him. He doesn't tut-tut. He doesn't chide. He welcomes him back. In his many words, he forgives and he blesses him. And so I want you to remember this as you remember Thomas. As Jesus' sinners doth receive, Jesus' doubters doth forgive. As the risen Christ said, peace To the disciples and doubting, confessing, Thomas, he says to you and me every time we come back to him, peace be with you. You who, in spite of having not seen, have believed, he calls you blessed and time and again calls you blessed as he says time and again, welcome home. Amen.